Matthew chapter 6. Our Father which art in heaven, the old King James language, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This is where we are today in our passage, our Father which art in heaven. I know the, that line so well, and many of you do also. I know it, yes, from Sabbath school and from Christian education, but I know it mostly from growing up in my father's house because he began every prayer with those words, our Father which art in heaven. Do some of you pray that way also? You do. Wow, four years old. That's good. Our Father, which art in heaven. My father went on to pray fairly long prayers, but very rapidly. I don't know if I've told you this before. The longer he prayed, the quicker he talked. And by the time he got to the end, we didn't know what he was saying. We, never, we have never known the last sentence of his prayer. Sabbath lunch, every week, same sentence. Nobody knows what it is. We don't know how that prayer ends, but we all know that it begins. Our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Today we're going to look at the second and third petition. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and what I wish I would have said last week, I want to say now in these two paragraphs, we learn from the first few words of this prayer what the problem is. We learn about the divine human situation when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven, we learn immediately what's going on. Our, we, all of us, not just me, not just you, not someone else only, our, all of us have a Father, a Father. Not a landlord, not a king, not a statue cut in stone, our Father. We're taught to call this God. The Bible often refers to God in parental terms, which, which gives us an idea of relationship and connection. We all have a connection with a parent, but here comes the problem, who is in heaven? Our Father who is in heaven, heaven the, the space and the place for God, and earth the space and the place for people, and we are separated. Our Father in heaven, make your kingdom come and your will be done right down here on earth. Here is the human crisis and the human predicament and our challenge. We are separated from our parent. We are here, and this parent seems not to be. From the first few lines of the prayer, and that's why last week I said, this is not just a nice devotional prayer. Significant words and language. We are separated. And it's going pretty well in heaven, as one author says. I like this very succinct summary. Heaven's doing pretty well, but earth is a mess. Our Father in heaven, we have a mess on earth. For several days, we watched in our backyard a little baby bird, and I don't know how old this bird was, but it's at the stage where the wings don't quite work, and it's still kind of fuzzy where the feathers aren't laying down yet. And I noticed it by surprise one morning when I was hosing and cleaning and I picked up a tar tarp and out jumped this little creature and chirped at me and began to hop around. And, and this little bird had a knack for hiding itself very carefully and I, I soon learned after a few days of observation because the bird is alone. I don't know if it was a nest, if it was on the roof, if it was under, you know, in the tile, under this part of the eaves, where this little thing came from. But within a few days, the mother to this bird, I assume it to be the mother, 
was now sitting close by, separated by a five-foot retaining wall. Mom sits up top, and the little baby bird is down below, locked inside this concrete retaining wall in our backyard, not going to get out because it can't fly. And that communication pattern was nonstop for days and days and days. A separation problem. It is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray to help them understand the, the human situation and the crisis and the predicament. You are separated from your parent and you are on earth and your parent is not. And this is the challenge. When Jesus teaches the disciples to pray this way, I believe those first few words matter because that now the disciples can honestly pray. Bring your kingdom. Bring your will. We are on earth, and it's rather a mess. Jesus teaches them right at the beginning to go ahead and say what needs to be said. And for those of us who are rather vague when we pray or we dance around a little bit in our prayers with God, we get straight from Jesus. It's all right to say straight up front, what's the crisis? What's the predicament? What's the problem? For the disciples and for the Israelites, this is a very old problem. For hundreds of years, they realized they're separated from their maker. All of Isaiah chapter 40 through 55 is devoted to this storyline. When will a servant come and rescue us? When will we be restored? When will we be back together again? So they say right up front in the beginning of their prayer, what's the problem? I also think in this prayer that, that Jesus helps the humans understand more about the problem when he chooses this language about the kingdom. And it's interesting that Jesus teaches them, the disciples, to use the name Father for God, but then he goes on not with, not with family, a family conversation in family terms, but with a kingdom term. Our Father in heaven, bring your kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I think that's because the disciples would understand kingdom language. They understand the kingdom of Caesar Augustus. They understand the kingdom of Herod. They understand the kingdom of Rome. They understand even sometimes that religion, that the synagogue, that the temple, the temple feels like a kingdom oppressing them. So Jesus says, bring your kingdom, God. That would be the kingdom that comes from you, not any kingdom on heaven, on earth, not any earthly kingdom or earthly regime or earthly structure. Bring that one that's of another kind, a very different kind of kingdom. That's the one we want to come to earth. What the disciples cannot possibly know that we know now, having the Bible for 2,000 years being able to repeat and then finally read these texts is that Jesus will go on through the most of the Gospel of Matthew and teach about this kingdom. It will be the core of his teaching. The disciples don't know that when Jesus teaches them to say these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. They know that when Jesus began to teach, Matthew 4.23 says at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about Jesus spread all over Syria, and people brought him to all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them, large crowds of people from the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, the region across the Jordan. They all followed Jesus. From that point till the end of the Gospel of Matthew, there will be no less than 33 stories or illustrations about the kingdom. The disciples don't know this yet. 
However, if I were to summarize and just pull a few lines from those kingdom stories so we get an idea of what that means when we pray for the kingdom to come and the, the kingdom to be present, we, we ought to look at the kingdom Jesus taught. Here's just a few lines from some of those 33 teachings. The kingdom, Jesus says, is advancing. The kingdom cannot be divided. The kingdom is near. The kingdom has been given to you. The kingdom is like a sower sowing seeds. It's like a mustard seed. It's, it's like yeast growing in dough. The kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. It's like a merchant searching for fine pearls. It's like a net laid down in the lake. It's, the kingdom is the key. You've been given the keys to the kingdom. Who could be the greatest in this kingdom? The kingdom is like a master who settles accounts with his servants. The kingdom is for children, tax collectors, prostitutes. It will be difficult. The kingdom will be difficult for the wealthy, for those who are well-fed, for hypocrites. The kingdom is like a man who throws a wedding feast for his son. They don't know, really, about the kingdom yet, but Jesus will teach them. He does, however, in the Lord's Prayer with this one line we all know, Seek ye first the kingdom and God's righteousness and everything else you need will be added. And next week, Pastor Sonia is going to take that part of the text where there's a prayer for very basic needs for bread and food and forgiveness of debts. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and the righteous God and everything else will be added. And I don't know if the disciples understand this yet. I'm not sure we understand this yet. Make the kingdom your first priority. I would invite you this summer, if you're up for some Bible reading, to just read these kingdom stories from the Gospel of Matthew and then go over to Luke and read them again. Any kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God story, read it again and again and again because when you read the kingdom stories, you're getting a picture of who God is and what God is like and what God's kingdom is about and who are the people of the kingdom exactly what the will of God looks like. And I believe then when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it's a little bit redundant. Because the kingdom is an example of God's will, and God's will is manifested in the kingdom. They're almost one in the same. God's will, God's passion, God's agenda, God's desire, what God would really like to see happen on earth, happens in these kingdom stories. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, because heaven's doing fairly well, but earth is a little bit of a mess. I am aware because of my own prayers and because of listening to you talk about prayer and, to, and because of being with praying people that we're a little bit nervous when it comes to praying this phrase, thy will be done. I hear people say it, but I think we're a little bit cautious about that. I think we're just a little bit cautious in general about our prayers, unless you're a child. I think we're cautious because we are human, and we understand humans are fairly selfish and fairly self-centered, and we have our own needs first. Sometimes we pray for what God can do for us rather than what we could do for God. So it isn't, it's a good thing to be cautious about our prayers. We're humans after all. We were eating this week, Kirby and I. Actually, he was eating and I was watching, to tell the truth. I had eaten earlier in the day, and so I went to join him for supper, but I, you know, I wasn't hungry. I had eaten at 3.30 or 4, so I joined him, and he had a plate of food in front of him, and we began to talk, and 
The more we talked and the more I could smell the aroma of his food, I, you know, I began to get a little hungry too. And I got that stomach growl going and a little churning going on and his food looked better and better and better. And I kept thinking while he was eating, well, he's going to give me a bite here pretty soon. <laughs> and we kept talking and talking and talking and talking about the university, talking about the church, talking about the girls. His food was, he kept eating and eating, and I thought, well, just one bite would be good. Just one, one bite, nice. We talked, and we talked, and we talked, and finally the, his plate of food was gone, and he picked up his napkin, and he wiped his mouth, and he kind of sat back in his chair. And I said, you know, one bite would have been kind of nice. Just one bite. And he looked at me, and he said, I, I thought you didn't want me. I thought you had already eaten, and you weren't going to eat anymore. And he, I said, well, one, one bite would have been fun. Uh, you know, the Bible says, before you call, I will answer. <laughs> I've been very absorbed in the gospel of Matthew lately. Before you call, I will answer. And my spouse looked at me keenly and said, but I am not God. <laughs> I said quietly, you are not. Neither am I. And this is why we are careful when we pray. We understand that humans are not God, that our motives tend to be more selfish. And so we get cautious, I believe, when we come to prayer, we do pour out, most of us, that which concerns us. We pour out that which feels like crisis, that which needs to be solved, that which nags at us, which, which keeps us from having peace of mind. We pour these concerns out, and then we say to God, please do all of these things if it's according to your will. Please take away this cancer if it's according to your will. Please heal this marriage if, if it's your will. Please give safe... Travels here, bring peace to this country, stop this war, solve these problems. Earth is a mess, God. Please do this if it's your will. We pray our sincere requests, and then we kind of cover them over with an escape clause that says, well, you might want, want to do what I want you to do, and I know you're God and I'm not, so go ahead and do your will. I hear us sometimes pray that way. Go ahead and do your will, God. What concerns me about that is our, that we forget in that kind of a prayer that when we pray for basic needs like food and shelter and security and safety, when we pray for our children, when we pray for, our, for jobs that will be secure, when we pray for healing in our bodies, when we pray for peace in our country, when we pray for our children to be in church even, to be with us even, when we pray these things, we forget this already is the precise will of God for us. We are not praying a contrary prayer when we pray these things because God's will, God's passion, God's desire, what God wants most is for humans to be whole and healthy, to be saved and to be redeemed and connected to their Creator. That's why I call this the safest prayer. You can pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Pray that prayer in all security. It's a safe prayer to pray because it, you're praying it to God. 
and you're praying it about God and about God's kingdom and about God's will, the safest prayer in the Bible to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We don't have to add that line apologetically when we pray. Please do these things if it's according to your will. The good will of your Father in heaven is to take care of your needs. And some people wondered last week when Kathy McMillan was up here leading, and with permission I share this, she, she stood here where Tom's group has stood today, and she led worship so peacefully, so capably, so led by the Spirit she was last week. Jim sat both services just two rows in front of her watching so calmly, all the while knowing on Tuesday she would go to the hospital. And many people said after the fact, I can't believe Kathy was able to stand and, and lead worship knowing she has this cancer inside of her that needs to be cut out. How does a person compose themselves to do that? It is because Jim and Kathy know the will of God. It's because they can trust the heart of this God. It's because they know they can pray for a full healing because that's already what God wants to give. There is nothing contrary in that prayer. It is an absolutely safe prayer to pray. What I think is more risky about the prayer has to do with humans. Oh, not our shortcomings, because remember, God knows us well. God already knows that we grow selfish. What I think is more risky about the prayer is that when humans pray for earth to begin to, to resemble heaven, remember what I said last week, it obligates us now in that prayer. We now become obligated to become kingdom participants. And I'm wondering if God's biggest problem on earth is, is, is not but us that he cannot find covenant partners who are ready and happy for the will of God and the kingdom of God to be experienced by everyone. Maybe that's the risky part of the prayer. When we stand in the way of God's will and God's kingdom being present on earth, where all people are whole and being healed and being satisfied, there is just one other thing I want to say about this prayer because sometimes when we look around the world, it appears to us when our prayers are not answered that the will of God is indeed being done. We look around the world and sometimes it's very clear to us that evil is having its will in the world, but we can't always discern God's good will. So somehow an unanswered prayer, a healing that doesn't happen, Somehow, relationships that dissolve and countries that war and people who take life and people who are pouring their heart out in prayer over these crises, that somehow when God doesn't intervene, we take that to mean that God endorses somehow and this now is part of God's will. That's why we pray for God's will to be done, just in case God is condoning war, just in case. Probably no other problem in the Bible irritates me more. And I said this morning in first service, if this was a good old hard wooden pulpit, I would bang it now. I would bang it and bang, hit and hit and hit. Nothing irritates me more than, than deciding and laying at the feet of God all the garbage in the world. 
God's will is not that there be garbage in our world. God's will is for everyone to be healed and whole. That's peace. Yet we look around our world and see that that hasn't happened. And, and there is a humongous difference, gigantic difference between unanswered prayer, therefore that must be God's will, or unanswered prayer and now God comes to join us in this pain and mess in our world. And God helps us make sense out of it, and God grows us out of this, and God refines our faith out of this. But never confuse the two that God leaves our prayers unanswered so we can have the trial, because that's how God works. And I know you're going to pick up a quarterly, and you're going to turn on a network, an Adventist uh, network later today or this week, and someone else will be preaching the exact opposite. The trial comes and the unanswered prayer comes because God is busy refining us and growing us and teaching us because this is God's way, and God knows better, and one day in heaven we'll figure it out. And we confuse our earthly parenting techniques with God's. There was a time when I was a teenager, I had a problem remembering my purse, and my father saw that I'd left my purse somewhere, and he picked it up and took it to keep it safe, but he hid it from me to teach me a lesson. Now, you can agree or disagree with the parenting technique if you would do that to your child. A lot of parents do that. Well, I'm going to teach this child a lesson. So he let me go through several hours of grief, thinking I'd lost everything that was significant to me. And because we behave like this as parents, we've, we also layer these tactics on God, that that's somehow, this is why our prayers are unanswered, because God is refining us and teaching us and molding us, and, and, and God will never give us more than we can handle, and that's the most ridiculous, ridiculous notion of God. These things happen in our world because evil is present, because people have freedom of choice. And we will talk about this more the last week of the sermon series when we get to the petition, deliver us from evil. Because evil is in our world and God chooses not yet to stand and force goodness on everyone. We look around the world and we can't always tell if God's goodwill is being done, or if evil is just having its way. Never, never confuse the two. two. When you pray for healing and wholeness, that is a prayer God wants to answer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You are so safe praying that prayer. And we are also extremely obligated to make heaven mirrored here on earth. It is Pastor Carl who tells the story, and he usually sits right down here, not here today. But our Pastor Carl and his wife spent you know, 40 years of their lives serving in China. I think only one year of his, of his ministry did he serve in the States. I can't tell you names or places or details. I can tell you the core of Carl's story the day his wife got sick, and they were somewhere buried deep in China without transportation, without access to treatment. And by the hour, by the minute in the hour, his wife grew more ill and more ill, and the people began to pray. You really must have Carl tell you the story sometime. I cannot do it justice that this man of getting close to 90 years of age can do. 
But as his wife became ill and the people began to pray, I believe they put her on a boat and moved her down a river looking for transportation to get her to health care, to get her some medicine. And they, everyone understood that she is so sick, she clearly looks as though she will die. People praying on the boat, people praying in other locations, pray, 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 please heal my sweet wife. And Carl will tell you when the boat docked and they got his wife off and they got her to safety and they, she received her medicine, Carl will tell you, and my wife, God answered our prayer. And had his wife died, God would also be wanting that woman healed. Had she not not survived that sickness that day, it would not be a statement about the good will of God on this earth. That would not be a statement about an unanswered prayer or a praying person who hasn't refined their faith enough or hasn't prayed hard enough. Had she died that day, it would be because evil still exists in this world and people die, thousands of them every day, and God mourns and weeps with those families. Absolutely the will of God that every person you pray over would live. Let us not be confused about that, church. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So be dismissed, church, in the safety of a God whose desire is that heaven and earth be united in wholeness and salvation. Be dismissed with the invitation to join this God so that someday soon, earth will begin to resemble heaven and the kingdom of God will indeed be established. Amen.